What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching as the case may be. Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in our heart. In, in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about why Jesus chose the misfits. I love this topic. This topic hits home to me. I have always been, I don't know how to describe it. I've always been put, had a, had a particularly acute sense of justice or a nose for injustice whenever elitism is practiced and certain people always are chosen first or have the preeminence or something like that. And I'm like, this is not good. We, we need to go for those people that have fallen through the cracks. I do not enjoy being in the in crowd. In fact, I kind of eschew it. I want to be on the fringes. I want to, I want to be with the publicans in the center. Uh, whenever I was training horses, I had a position of privilege, but I did not enjoy it. I stayed with the grooms. I worked with the grooms. I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't like going to the good seats as it were because it's boring. I don't like it. And that's, yeah, let's, let's just, let's just flesh this out. I want to turn your attention to our our podcast sponsor, Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss the opportunity to make your message resonate far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson today. Lindsay Faye Dotson at gmail.com. And I would like to turn your attention to the bottom left now. And remember, we have a Facebook group for Christianity Now. It's a public Facebook group. So there's no restrictions in this whatsoever. I figure it will, it will grow to a point to where it will kind of take off. And if we curate it or if we add to it at all, then, then it'll, it'll, it'll really take off and be something big. And that's a good thing. So now hold on just a second. This is crazy. All right. Let me get in here. For some reason, every time, every time I go to do something, my recording shuts down and I have to do the stream. I have to, I have to steal the audio off the stream. I'm going to have to go in and fix that because what that means is my, my logic pro can't run in the background and record. I do not like that at all. All right. Well, let's get right into it. Um, Sheila Cole says, I'm this way too. I used to help in the elementary school and only took those children struggling behind. It was very rewarding. And Terry Crooks, it's good to see you. I am so glad you're here. And Mark McCroy says, me too. 
I prefer, I prefer to stay on the outside of the in crowd. Yes. And that goes back probably to, uh, what I, I, I ripped this off, uh, but I've seen what makes you cheer. So your booze mean nothing to me. I'm, I'm almost a contrarian by nature. I I'm like, okay. So if most of the people like this person, then I'm going to be prejudiced against them on general principle. And that has very, very, very rarely ever led me wrong. Good morning from Northern Ohio. And for some reason, this page comes up when I want the other one. I only found it yesterday when you put the link in the comments. Gotcha. Yeah. Also, for some reason, I cannot, I cannot get restreamed to stream to the Christianity Now group. I don't know what the deal is with that. But anyway, um, I put a note in Christianity Now. So in, or excuse me, in uh, Substack, Christianity Now Substack. And I'll give you, a, I'll, I'll read it. I'll read what I wrote. Um, well, where are my notes? Okay. Well, where are my notes? How do you get to your notes? I want to get to the notes that I put out. Okay. That brings me back to the article. Well, folks, this is crazy. There are lots of good, there, there's a lot of good story. Now you got to keep in mind, one of the reasons why I don't tell a whole lot of stories about the days when I was training horses is because I was not a Christian and those were some pretty rough, like we were a bunch of roughnecks. We, we, we were, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, fighting and all kinds of stuff. Sometimes when we got bored, we didn't have anybody else to fight. We'd fight each other. Okay. Evidently, I can't find the, the note that I put on Christianity Now Substack. Incidentally, for those of you that like articles and stuff like that, go to Christianity Now Substack. That's where all these articles are. Um, and yes, elitism is particularly heinous in the Lord's body. You got that right. And how many souls are lost because of elitism within the Lord's church and various congregations? I will tell you this. I, I'm not going to say where. But I was at a local congregation and I made it a priority to go visit this one family. And after about the third visit, and, and this, this wasn't like the, over the course of days or weeks, this was over the course of like, let's say a year after about the third visit, the, the matriarch of that family said, you know, we've been a part of that church for 40 years. And this is the first time I believe that a gospel preacher has ever come and sat in our home. And I'm like, that's crazy. Now, again, you got to be careful. How true is that? I mean, cause people's memory fails them, but forget the truth of it for a moment. This is, this is how that person was feeling. So that, that, that person was feeling disheartened, disenfranchised, like they were on the fringe and, me spending time with them and treating them as if they mattered evidently made a difference. All right. Why Jesus chose misfits over the religious. And I guess you could say the religious elite. 
this is an interesting examination. All right. So I'm just going to read the article and we're going to offer some commentary. I'm going to look at your comments as we go. There's 18 of you here. Thank you so much. Be the algorithm for it. Subscribe on Substack. Subscribe on YouTube. I'm was going to start, was going to say that we shouldn't mention the other platforms, but I haven't seen a, any uptick in the algorithm or downvote. So evidently either we're not big enough that it matters or it just doesn't matter. All right. The new Testament is replete with instances where Jesus Christ chooses to spend time with social outcasts, sinners, and so-called misfits rather than with the religious elite. This evident, uh oh, this is evident in his, <laughs> I got to edit that. This is evident in his interactions with tax collectors, fishermen, and even a Samaritan woman. This poses a compelling question. Why did Jesus favor these seemingly unworthy individuals over those who by societal standards were considered virtuous and devout? The answer lies in the contrast between self-righteousness and genuine humility, the limitations of, of ritualistic piety, and a broader, more inclusive version of community and spirituality. The dangers of self-righteousness. All right. One cannot discuss this topic without delving into the flawed nature of self-righteousness. Folks, this is where it often comes. It, it, elitism, elitism and, and self-righteousness are not simply kissing cousins. They are married to one another. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're married to one another. It's, it's the little Jack Horner syndrome. A little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie, stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, my, what a good boy am I? Well, the, the Jews, well, I'll tell you what, let's go to, let's pull, let's pull Romans into this Romans chapter either 10 or nine. I can't remember which one we'll, we'll read both of them if we have to. Yeah, brethren, I say that my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. I will tell you this. I have known religious people, very religious people, who are there every time the doors are open, who give more money than anybody else, who, quite frankly, the local congregation would be harmed on this realm of existence if they were gone, who are self-righteous, who are spiritually damaging to the congregation because they are like, I'm righteous because I'm doing all of this, and they're judgmental, they they are fomenting spiritually and religiously codependent relationships. Uh, they don't trust people to do what they're supposed to do. They cannot simply model the behavior of Jesus whenever he says something important. He says, if you've got a set of ears, this is for you. And then he trusts you and gives you the space to do it. They can't do that. You've got you've to conform to their image of Christianity. 
Folks, that's why Jesus went to the misfits. That's why Jesus went to the quote-unquote sinners. That's why Jesus went to the social outcasts. That's why I like people on the fringe because it's with the people on the fringe that I can be myself. The people that levy this accusation at me, Tony doesn't get along with people. Tony, um, Tony always thinks he's right. Tony doesn't play well with others. Tony can't have Bible conversations with people that disagree with him. All of those people are the people who are trying to be part of the in crowd. I would indeed live a very boring and unfilled, fulfilled life, unfilled and unfulfilled life. If I surrounded people who only agreed with me, who only reflected back to me who I think they should be. I love the spice of life. I'm very curious about people. Obviously, there's a standard. Jesus is the standard. And Jesus sat with these tax collectors and sinners and hung out with these publicans and these women of ill repute not because he thought their lifestyle was cool, but because he loved humanity and being flawed is part of the human condition. And he is so curious about the human condition. He wants to know the human condition and he wants to help people rise above and transcend the human condition. My brethren, those of you that are listening to this, be a Christ figure in somebody's life. Be curious about them. Don't be judgmental. And you will find that whenever you give them that validation, not of their actions, but of just their existence, then you will be able to help them transcend their current state of existence and they can put on Christ and they can change some of these things that would do them harm and they can keep some of these things that are on the fringe that makes them very interesting, but that are not sinful in the eyes of God. We have, we have some good comments here. Um, replying to Sheila Coe, I did that too. When I mentioned one little boy in particular to the teacher, she said she didn't care. Just leave him alone. Uh, he, this, and he, he is this and he is that. But when I sat with him and asked him questions, he could answer, he could answer them and do his worksheets. Um, yeah, so for for those of you that are tuning in, um, don't don't ask. May I ask a question? Just just ask your question. You'll be fine. Um, this this is a little this is a little uh, conversation one hundred and one. Whenever you say, "May I ask a question?" That whether you realize it or not, whether you intend for it to be or not, you put yourself in an adversarial, confrontational. Uh, situation uh, or, or, uh, or yeah, position you, you are well able to ask a question. That's what this live stream is for. So I would love for you to ask a question and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it. Now I might not answer it, but you, you, you are well able to answer your question or ask your question. And, uh, all right. And again, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not picking on you personally, I don't know who you are. You're just a, it just says Facebook user. So. Um, but yeah, just, just ask your question and I'll get to it. All right. Back to the dangers of self-righteousness. 
Often religious leaders like the Pharisees viewed themselves as the epitome of virtue, mainly because they strictly adhered to the Mosaic law. That is the, that is akin, my brethren, for to me, memorizing the book of Proverbs and claiming to be as wise as Solomon. Doesn't work, does it? You see, I can memorize the book of Proverbs and I can, I can even apply the book of Proverbs and I can figure out which proverb applies in a given situation, but that doesn't make me wise. I'm not self-wise. Solomon is wise and I just happen to be smart enough and it doesn't take a lot of smarts. I'm not, I'm not upplaying my smarts. I'm downplaying them. I'm not upplaying my role in this. I'm downplaying it. It would be like me saying, well, because I know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that makes me wise and I'm a wise man. No, that just means you've read the Bible and you've assimilated the information into your life. Two plus two is four. You're not brilliant because you know that. Somebody else had to come up with it. Some people who are highly educated tend to be skeptical of new information presented by those with less education. They may believe that if the info were true, they would have already known about it. I think you're right, Terry. And that is, that is a very, for someone who is genuinely curious and for someone who genuinely wants to learn, I don't care how many PhDs or masters you have. Boy, I made somebody really, 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 really angry one time in a gospel sermon. I was making the point about how education is not a standard of authority. And I said, you know, when it comes to discussions of the Bible, I have no respect at all for an education. I have a respect for what is right. I, do, I couldn't care any less about your PhD or your master's or your education from some university than I do right now. It does not matter what is right and what is wrong what is logically reasoned is true and what is right and what is wrong is what is right and what is wrong regardless of the of the education of the person teaching it and that person there was a person in the audience whose wife was educated and she was an educator which I think is a big Ponzi scheme. A lot of these folks with these PhDs, the only reason they get a PhD is so they can teach other people the subject in which they have the PhD. And there's really no monetary value to having the PhD. It's kind of like, it's kind of like African lesbian dance theory. Well, somebody has a PhD in African lesbian dance theory. Do you know the only way you can make money with a PhD in African lesbian dance theory is if you get a job at a university teaching African lesbian dance theory. So yeah, I don't, I don't respect education. I respect the person. I hope that come across. Well, there, there are PhD and denominations. Fact is a carpenter saved the world. You got that right. And I say this all the time. I say it about Charles Spurgeon. You know, I've read some of Charles Spurgeon's commentary on Psalms. I, I'll agree it's masterful. But you know who I would rather 
study from is Tom Waycaster's commentary on the book of Psalms. I would love to study Tom. I mean, if, if I could have Tom Waycaster up here in Riverview for about three months to teach through the book of Psalms on a Sunday, I would consider that one of the greatest blessings in the world. I don't, I don't have the first clue what education Tom Waycaster has, but I know Tom Waycaster and I've read his commentary on the book of Psalms. Charles Spurgeon, he has missed Ned and the first reader. Charles Spurgeon missed he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Charles Spurgeon teaches that faith is a result of salvation, not salvation a result of faith. All right. Back to the article. The book of Luke, chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, presents a telling example through the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. The Pharisee, standing in the temple, thanks God that he is not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or adulterers. Meanwhile, the publican stands afar off, not daring to look to heaven, beating his chest and asking God for mercy. Jesus concludes by stating the publican returned to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. Folks, the takeaway is clear. Self-righteousness is not a pathway to God's favor. That's it. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, ask away. Someone will answer it or Tony will get it when he sees it. Yes. And incidentally, sometimes Facebook does not play well with others. If you ask a question and I don't get it, it may be because I didn't see it. You're welcome to re-up it. So, all right. Humble hearts and as fertile ground is what I like. Contrastingly, sinners who were cognizant of their flaws were more amenable to Jesus's teachings. Think about this. Whenever, whenever we were in the Memphis School of Preaching, we would go out on these campaigns door-knocking campaigns usually. So I'll give you an example. In Pulaski, Tennessee, there's the East Hill Church of Christ. And the very first campaign of the first year we were at school, we had a campaign, and I was selected with a group of others. Uh, and there's a, one of the second-year students is the leader, the organizer of the campaign, like he's the point man, and then the rest of us are there support. So I was I, I wanted to go... I, I communicate wrongly sometimes. When I say I was selected to go, what I mean is there were several different options and beyond my control, I was selected to go to Pulaski as opposed to somewhere else is what I mean. I don't mean I was selected to go to Pulaski because, because I'm special. No, me and a bunch of other folks went to Pulaski. Now, every quarter besides one, you have a campaign like that and it's associated with a gospel meeting. You go and you door knock and we door knock thousands of doors. Folks, my favorite place to go door knocking is in the trailer park or the ghetto. I want to go to the slums. I want to go to the projects. I want to go to the poor places because when you're door knocking in a neighborhood with homes that are above a million dollars per, those people don't need anything. They think like they, they have, they have believed this, they, they have been sent this strong delusion that they might believe a lie. They think because they're blessed in this world's good, that they're blessed spiritually. Boy, that may be a good article. 
the juxtaposition of blessing, blessed in this world's good versus being blessed spiritually. And you could fall into the trap of believing that because you live in a million-dollar home and you drive a $100,000 car and you have a job making, you know, $750,000 a year, you're thinking, well, I don't need anything. It's kind of like that eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to build these barns. Well, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required of you. The passage comes to mind. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32. I am sure you cited it somewhere. Actually, I didn't. But that's a good one. Um, yeah, that, that's a good one. I, I come to, and, and, and well, wait a second. Maybe I did. Sorry. I, well, I don't think I cited it for the podcast. Um, anyway. My, my train just derailed. People that are blessed in this world's good, they think they're delusioned, they're deluded into the false idea of thinking they're blessed in, in, in the next world's good as well. So I always loved door knocking and talking to people that actually needed something. I loved it. Um, yeah, you're right. That was not the sinner's prayer. No, there's no, there's no, there's no sinner's prayers. The denominational teach it in the Bible at all. Nowhere is a, is a, nowhere is somebody who is not saved or yeah. Nowhere is somebody who is not saved ever told to pray in order to be saved. All right. The humble heart as fertile ground. Maybe I'll remember my thought there later. All right. Their humility created fertile ground for spiritual growth and transformation. Matthew chapter nine, verses 10 through 13 offers a compelling narrative. When questioned for dining with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus replied that he can't. That's okay. It is, um, David, you, you cited the one from Luke. I cited the one from Matthew. That's where I was getting confused. My brain could not compute that for a moment. Like if you would have, if you would have opened my brain up and, and, and my thought process was a hamster running on a wheel, he tripped over all four feet and his little wheel come off the axle. Anyway, Matthew chapter nine, verse 10 through 13 offers a compelling narrative. When questioned for dining with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus replies that he came not to call the righteous, but to sinners to repentance. The humble heart, aware of its need, is more receptive to Jesus's message of redemption. The person that doesn't think it needs anything, you can't fill up a you can't you can't fill a vessel that's already full. David, there's not no no reason to apologize on you on your behalf at all. It's just I don't know what I I hope I hope this is not too crass, but we would call this a cranial anal inversion on my part. I I I got turned upside down. In other words, all right. Let's talk about the folly of external piety, and this is another reason I like folks on the fringe. Another angle to consider is the hollowness 
of external displays of piety. I remember, I, I, I remember this forever. And, and Stephen Ford doesn't even remember him saying it to me. But Stephen Ford talked about we were eating at Uch Ichiban in Memphis, Tennessee. Well, Collierville, a Chinese buffet, Ichiban. I think that means number one. Anyway, um, Ichiban Chinese buffet. We were eating there and, and we were talking. It was me, Stephen Ford, and Brock Kendall. And Stephen Ford talked about the brethren who are too worried about being sanctimonious or appearing sanctimonious that they neglect actually being sanctified. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with that word, which I'm not insulting your intelligence, S-A-N-C-T-I-M. All right, sanctimonious, making a show of being morally superior to other people. Do you remember going back to Luke to the to the publican and the uh, the Pharisee praying in the temple? One was sanctimonious, the other was sanctified. Well, we need to understand the folly of being or desiring to be sanctified or sanctimonious. We I would rather be sanctified. There's a meme with uh, this biker guy. He's wearing a he's wearing a do rag. He's got a beard. He's got a couple of piercing in his ears. He's got some rings on. He's wearing a leather vest and jeans. He looks like a mean dude. And he's reading the Bible. And the thought bubbles of, with the people on to his side is, look at that guy trying to read the Bible and stuff. Don't he know Jesus wouldn't be like that? And then the thought bubble from the guy reading the Bible that doesn't look, quote unquote, look like a Christian, he's saying, you know, my God, I'm so thankful that I was able to be changed. I'm so thankful that Jesus changed me. I mean, just it was a really poignant meme. I asked someone for a Bible study one time, and he said he didn't need it. <laughs> that's, hard to, that's hard to get through, David. <laughs> he said he didn't need it. He, he said he was already saved. Sadly, there are some folk who are like that. They lack the humility to be willing to learn. Absolutely. and. Yeah, that, you know, that reminds me, and, and you've heard the stories, like going to Memphis School of Preaching, there's a story that goes around where, so on, on the, on orientation day, people stand up and they say, well, my name's Tony Brewer. I've come from Northwest Tennessee, Brent Arnold and, um, the elders, Clint, uh, Clint Monroe wasn't an elder to, sorry, my brain is messing up because Clint Monroe wasn't an elder at the time. He was a deacon, but Brent Arnold and Clint Monroe influenced me to come here. And, um, uh, you know, I'm here because I can't do anything else. I've got to preach. And you just kind of introduce yourself like that. Well, story has it that this one guy got up and said, well, my name is so-and-so I'm here by way of so-and-so and I'm here because I know the New Testament. I just need to brush up on the Old Testament. And then, of course, his teacher, the first quarter, gives him a gives him a, a test over the New Testament or gives the class a test over the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and he fails. And the note says, maybe you need to brush up on the New Testament as well. Um, it's hard to it's it's hard to fill an already full vessel. 
it is hard to fill an already full vessel. I think that's what happens a lot to people when they go to the Bible looking for answers. They're not going to the Bible as empty vessels. And it's it's hard. Like take, for instance, you know, David James is, uh, David James, sorry, David Stafford. David James Stafford. David is a, is a gospel preacher. He's put a lot of study in. I've put a lot of study in. We still, when we go to the Bible looking for answers, if we go thinking that we already have the answer, we just need to validate our answer with the Bible, then we're not going to find what we're looking for. We're going to find validation, but we may validate ourselves in something that's wrong. So we have to go as empty vessels. We have to get rid of this external display of piety, and we have to go in as if we are ignorant. Now, we're not ignorant. Neither one of us are ignorant, but we're not very smart compared to God. So we need to empty ourselves and let God fill us up with the word. So the religious leaders, uh, thank you so much. Amen, brother. The religious leaders of the day were exceptionally skilled at outward manifestations of righteousness, but often failed at cultivating an inner spiritual life. In Matthew 23, and look, take all of the lines of Matthew 23 and put them on a whiteboard and throw a dart. You will hit a line where Jesus is talking about this very point. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus offers a scathing critique of such practices. He accuses the Pharisees of focusing on minute details like tithing herbs of mint, anise, and cumin while neglecting the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, faith. I didn't think I should have included this more, but Matthew 23, 23. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin, and you leave undone the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the others undone. You blind guides, you strain at a gnat, swallow a camel. Well, what about, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, for you compass land and sea to make one proselyte, and you make him twofold more a child of hell as yourselves. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are whited sepulchers that are clean on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, you've washed clean, the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is still unclean. That's the folly of external piety. That is the folly of being overly concerned with sanctimony and not being concerned with being sanctified. This distinction between external piety and internal spiritual sincerity is central to understanding why Jesus favored the seemingly undeserving over the overly devout. Inclusivity and community. Jesus' choices also point to a more inclusive vision of community and spirituality. Now listen, I love my brethren, but so often we are known not for what we are in favor of, but for that which we are against. Go ask any person in the Bible Belt that's not a member of the Church of Christ, what do you know about the Church of Christ? And they're going to say, well, those are the people that are, they think they're the only ones going to heaven. They're against, uh, they're, they're against mechanical instruments of music. They're against dancing. They're against denominations. 
They're against Christmas and Easter. They're against Halloween. They're against, they're against, they're against. And they're, they're going to come up with this. Now, look, we have got, if, if we're going to be for the truth, we have to be against, against the false. Let me go to some, I, I can't remember what it is. It's Psalm 119. It's 119, 104. Through thy precepts, I gain understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. All right. So understand that we are going to have to be against something if we are for something. By virtue of the fact you are for A, then then you're against B. You're you're against if if you are let me let me let me make sure I'm being crystal clear. If I go to scripture and I say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then when it comes to getting to heaven and spending an eternity with God the Father then it's not it's not just that I'm for Jesus. I have to be against every other way. Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. So I understand we've got to be against stuff. However, you cannot, and, and I didn't say this, Tom Holland said it, and somebody told it to Tom Holland. We cannot build on what we are against because what we are against is vacuous. It's, it's nothing. It technically doesn't exist. Like darkness doesn't exist. Darkness is the absence of light. Light exists. Darkness is where light isn't. We have to, we have to show the world what we're for and we are for, well, we're for the downtrodden. We're for people living a life that is the best life they can possibly live on earth. We are for people living a fulfilled life. Jesus came that they might that they that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, John 10 10. So we are for all kinds of things. And we have to show that. You know, in his kingdom, traditional labels and social standings were secondary to one's willingness to accept his teachings and undergo transformation. By associating with the marginalized, Jesus showcased a form of spirituality that transcended social norms. It was a stark departure from the exclusive religious circles of his day and pointed towards a more universal acceptance of those who seek God's presence in their lives. I've had a friend for years that was arrogant and refused to talk about God. He's recently been diagnosed with lung cancer and his kidneys are about to fail. I was determined to put the truth in front of him. So I sent him a DVD on how to be saved and why so many denominations. And I prayed he'd hear and I, and I pray he'd be here. He called last night to thank me saying he was going to watch them. His failing health has humbled him, and I pray he obeys the truth while there's still time. I realized I could be attacked, but his time was limited. Oh, let me tell you something. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing like a. There's nothing like an impending case of death that will cause people to reassess where they're going to spend eternity. That's it. Sanctified, set apart from sin. Debbie Scroggins, good to see you, by the way. Yes, and incidentally, sanctimonious is just appearing 
but sanctified is. Remember that. The choice of Jesus to commune with sinners and social outcasts, folks, it was not arbitrary, but is steeped in deep theological and moral significance. It serves as an indictment against the dangers of self-righteousness, the limitations of external piety, and the fallacy of an exclusive spiritual community. In contrast, it highlights the value of humility, internal spiritual sincerity, and and a more inclusive vision of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. By choosing the misfits, Jesus did not just redefine the qualifications for their spiritual worthiness. He offered a pathway for all to come to him, irrespective of their past or present circumstances. And I just realized that I missed a a grand opportunity to include uh, Paul's teachings of the church in Corinth, in which he says, in whatever state you're in, there remain where you were called. So like if you're a slave, you don't have to seek to be free. If you're a free man, you don't have to seek to be enslaved. It doesn't matter. If you're a garbage man, you ain't got to get promoted to the judge. If you're a judge, you ain't got to give up your job to go down to being a garbage man. A co-worker asked me, in the Bible, angels slept with women and half-angels offspring, right? I told him it was not in the Bible, but in the movies. He got upset, shouting, saying he's not wrong. Man, yeah, and that seems like it's, that seems, that, that, that idea has gotten so popular today. I don't understand it. I, I, it's, there, there's two words, Nephilim and Rapham, or, or I'm not pronouncing that correctly. One of those Hebrew words speaks to just the size of an individual. The other speaks to the reputation. In Genesis 6, it's the reputation. In Numbers 13, it's the reputation. The Nephilim in Numbers 13 cannot be the Nephilim of Genesis 6 because God said, I'm going to destroy everything that I made. Well, then the Nephilim were destroyed. I said, read Genesis. He said he didn't need to because I know I'm right. An atheist heard him and interviewed him and interviewed telling my coworker, I don't believe in those Bible. I don't believe in those, but what she's told you is right. Angel wasn't having offspring in the Bible. They were just messengers. My coworker calmed down, then apologized for his behavior towards me. Yeah, isn't that weird that it took an atheist to, and I I think it's weird sometimes, atheists, I think, know the Bible sometimes better than people who profess to be Christian because they look at it as more of a logical exercise instead of, instead of, um, well, what's the, instead of an emotional uh, a better, a better felt than told kind of proposition. So folks, um, I am so thankful for every one of you that's tuned in. Uh, listen, choose those misfits. If you're, if you're part of a, if you're part of a, a group of people, um, if you're part of a group of people that is responsible for getting a speaker for a gospel meeting or something like that, listen, BJ Clark's wonderful. But you know how many other gospel speak, gospel preachers there are that would love to be called for a meeting that 
have this have equal to or or at least within the same realm of of talent as BJ Clark. Man, there are so many very good gospel preachers out there. Um and again, it's not I'm not saying don't use BJ Clark. Uh we're going to have BJ Clark up here hopefully within the next 2 years as kind of a, a friends and family reunion anniversary kind of deal because he came up here in 2016. What we may do is uh, try to get him to come up here in 2026, but I'm not doing it because it's BJ Clark. I'm doing it because of my personal connection with the man. Yes, BJ is wonderful. And like I said, and I mean, I'm thinking like, well, th- who are the, I mean, you know who the preeminent quote unquote gospel meeting preachers are. Pick somebody different. Why do you always want to hear the same people over and over? Pick somebody different. I love getting people. Whenever I was at Bay, I was in charge of getting the speakers for the gospel meeting. And uh, we had eight while I was there, eight gospel meetings. And I, I always got people that nobody else, I mean, they, they, the, they'd never heard of them. And never once, never, ever once, did I hear somebody complain that, oh, well, I didn't like that preacher you got for that gospel meeting. It's cause talent is talent and get those preachers that are on the fringe, get those people that are doing a, a small work that, that that's doing a thankless work that nobody's ever going to hear about unless you tell them Cody Jones, they think they are of higher intelligence. Some people do, man. Yeah, we, I don't know how long you've been here, but we talked about that in the beginning, um, of people with educations, like, look, I understand if you went through and you got a PhD that you, you, that proves to me that you have stick to and that you will complete assignments and tasks when you don't want to complete assignments and tasks. But if we're debating the truth, your word carries no more weight than mine. I don't have a PhD. I do have a Bible degree, but man, I don't ever reference it. I don't believe I've ever said, well, you know, as a graduate of Bible college, what I say about this passage is this. No. Like if somebody wants to be like, well, listen, baptism is not necessary for salvation. Okay. Let's go to the Bible and let's, let's, let's induce all of the evidence and once we've induced all of the evidence, let's draw a conclusion. There, the education has no bearing whatsoever. That's why I mean, I, if, if Paul Washer wanted to come and challenge me to a debate, it wouldn't bother me a bit because Paul Washer doesn't have the truth. I have the truth. And I mean, I'm not throwing the gauntlet down necessarily to Paul Washer. I'm just, he's the one that came up in my head. I know people that are educated beyond their intelligence. You got that right. You got that right. All right. I think I'm done. Remember, go to Substack and uh, subscribe to the Substack. And incidentally, if you want a value added, uh, you can do Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Christianity Now, or you can go to Christianity Now Substack and just become a $5 a month subscriber and you get you get narrated articles and you get articles that are specifically for the, um, premium subscribers and stuff like that. 
I think that reading the Bible with your own understanding can lead you down the wrong path. That's why we all need the Holy Spirit for knowledge and understanding. Paul, I would push back against that. Um, how does the Holy Spirit give you knowledge and understanding? That's a miracle. The Holy Spirit does not give people knowledge and understanding except through God's word. In fact, talking about a talking about an article here, um, I actually wrote an article about through the word. Let me let me see if I can let me see if I can pull it up here real quick. Let's see. All right, bear with me. I'm going to try to find this article. Come on here now. Good habits and a good boy. We've wrote a lot of them. I mean, a bunch of them. But when pillars crumble, the path less traveled. The Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. What is Holy Spirit baptism? Um, well, maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit and the power of God's word. Oh, this is it. This is it. I'm going to, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this article. All right, Paul, check out that article there. Um, I, I'm going to read you the introduction and let you know what it's about. In contemporary discussions about the Christian walk of faith, one recurrent theme is the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. There are those who firmly assert that the Holy Spirit guides, illuminates, and convicts humans directly, reaching out to individuals separately from the Word of God. Looking closely at the scriptures, especially the statements made in Psalm 119, we find a different story. The psalmist statement, the psalmist, well, I need a, I need a possessive there. Doggone it. The psalmist's statements indicate that everything we credit to the Holy Spirit is attributed to God's word in some form or another. This means that the actions of the Holy Spirit are carried out through God's word. Let's dig into this idea further by examining the verses in Psalm 119 that show the relationship between the work of the Holy Spirit and God's word. And I think that you will enjoy the article. Um, share it with your friends, go over it, study it. And, uh, and yeah, that's right. You have to study and rightly divide the word of truth. Um, Hey, hey, Alabama said, I shared some of your Bible class lessons when you were at Bay. They come up in my memory. It's cool, Banks. And uh, Diana Harden, thank you so much. Diana says, continue your great job preaching the word, Tony. Love you. Uh, love your family and praying for y'all. Uh, I will give Maslow a hug from you. Maslow is, he's dead to the world right now. He's sleeping. But anyway. Uh, Paul, I, I don't mean to call you out or like be overly pedantic or, or, or make you feel bad or anything, but, um, check that and, and read that article and, and just, just chew on it, cogitate on it folks. 
Oh, and David Stafford is a good one. The Holy Spirit used men to teach others. Philip, for example, was used to teach the Samaritans and the eunuch. That's it. Yeah, the Holy Spirit, even, even during the time on earth, during the fledgling age of the church, when the Holy Spirit did operate directly, the Holy Spirit never directly operated on the heart and mind of man to bring them to the gospel, for sure, and, and to teach. Yeah, the um, the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think about the noble Bereans. Go read that account of the noble Bereans, and there's something amazing there. And And this is for people that claim that the, it, it takes a spiritual man to be to understand the Bible. The noble Bereans were not spiritual. In, in other words, they weren't saved. Paul, not only was he saved, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And the noble Bereans studied the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that an inspired apostle taught were true. That is significant. That is significant. All right, that's all I've got, folks. Remember, Jesus loves the misfits. Jesus loves the people on the fringe. You you treat them the way Jesus would treat them. The, the people in the in crowd, that, that's boring. I like those people on the fringe. I like people that disagree with me. I like people that don't have the same culture. They don't eat the same food. They don't look like me. That's the spice of life. That's the spice of life. Awesome, David. Thank you so much. Paul says, yes, I will. I will. Uh, hold on a second. Awesome. Good deal. Thank you. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just read it, chew on it. And, uh, we'll talk more about it in the future. I'm always open for talking about the Holy spirit and how he works in the world. And, and incidentally, how God, the father and God, the son work in the world. All right, folks, God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with cogitations. Remember subscribe on Substack. Don't forget to, uh, patronize Lindsay Faye Dotson at Gmail. If you need a flyer, a postcard, uh, uh, an, an internet graphic or something like that. She can help you out and, uh, consider supporting us monetarily. You can do that by subscribing on Substack or you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Christianity now, or on Podbean, Apple podcast, Spotify, and tune in radio in the show notes. There will be some links to, um, uh, buy me a coffee and PayPal where you can send a monetary donation that way. God bless you. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations, and we'll catch you on the flip side.